Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Bay to Bay podcast. I'm your host, Seb Fry, and for this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome two special guests. I have Adam Spickler and Dr. Matthew Wettstein. Adam is on the board of trustees at Cabrillo College, and uh, Matthew Wettstein is the president and superintendent at Cabrillo College. Uh, we talked at all things Cabrillo College, what's going on, what the new initiatives are, you know, just sort of things happening at Cabrillo. But of course, one of the big things we talked about was uh, Measure R. Measure R is a bond measure that seeks to raise $274 million for improvements uh, at the Cabrillo campuses, both in Aptos and in Watsonville. So uh, that's a lot of money, and I'm sure you have a lot of questions about Measure R and why do we need it and what's it going to go for. Um, and a lot of those questions, I think, are going to be answered for you uh, in this episode. Now, special note, we did have some technical difficulties recording the episode. There was a lot of electromagnetic uh, interference from something. So you'll hear static and uh, clicks and pops and stuff like that. I did my best to like get rid of most of it, um, but it's still uh, sort of sprinkled around uh, throughout the episode, so my apologies. There still is a lot of really great information in there, and it's not too hard to listen to, but when you hear those occasional bzzz, you'll know that's what it is. All right, so without further ado, please sit back, relax, and listen to what Adam and Matt have to say. Matt, Adam, thank you so much for uh, joining me today uh, on the Beta Bay Podcast. I really appreciate you guys making the time. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Me too. What an honor to be invited. All right. So, you know, I like to get things rolling by having my guests tell me a little story to kind of give them a feeling for like who you are and what you're about. Adam, do you have any little story, a little uh, vignette out of your life you can... Well, uh, as it relates to Cabrillo, just that um, when I was a student there, which I was for a number of years, I was actually a recipient of one of the Cabrillo Foundation scholarships because I had a 4.0 grade average. Wow. And that's a story I like to tell. Wow, that is cool. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. yeah as, a, as a 3.21 man myself, Same I'm, here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very impressed. So Matt, you are relatively new to Cabrillo College. Now, what were you doing before you uh, graced us with your presence? So before coming to Cabrillo, I was serving as vice president of instruction and planning at uh, San Joaquin Delta College in Stockton, the community college there. And I had been working at Delta for um, 22 years. Uh, it started as a professor of political science, got into a dean position, and then uh, became vice president maybe five and a half years before I, I came to Cabrillo. Oh, wow. Political science, huh? Yeah. Wow. That was my major as well when I was at UC Santa Cruz. Um, all right. Very good. So now you've been here, what, like a couple of years now so far? Is that about right? Just under. Yeah. Okay. So what are your goals that you have for Cabrillo? But I think, um, you know, one of the longer term goals is to make Cabrillo one of the, the top community colleges in the country. Um, I, when I was interviewing for the job, I wanted to say that if we could get uh, over a five or six year period into the, the race for the Aspen Prize for Community College Excellence, I would feel like we were really on top of the world. Um, that's a, an honor uh, that's given to the top 150 colleges to compete for based on graduation rates, based on transfer rates, and particularly completion for students who are typically underrepresented in college. So uh, if you're doing a good job with Hispanic and African-American um, completion rates, you're competitive for that prize particularly. 
So as a long-term goal, reduce the equity gaps that we see in some of our graduation completion rates. Uh, but more fundamentally, just uh, make sure that students in this region have good um, classrooms and learning spaces and be prepared for 21st century jobs. To me, that's the, the real target. Adam, were you going to add something? I was, just to, to note that there are certain uh, fields and disciplines in which Cabrillo has and continues to excel and be right on par with the best. Um, and that's long been true for the school. I'm hoping Matt can share a little bit because he can speak better than I about our robotics team. Yeah. I mean, talk about best of the best. Cabrillo really does. Yeah. I think what, one of the pride, points of pride from last year is our robotics club went to a, a NASA competition called the Swarmathon. You don't s- typically see community colleges competing really well at, against these four-year schools that have engineering departments, computer science. But Cabrillo walked away with the NASA championship last year. What you've got there is a combination of some excellent students, but top-notch faculty in computer science and engineering who are, who are leading these kids. Kids. I call them kids. They're students. I do. <laughs> Sorry. Too. Um, the, I mean, the, to have that kind of an accomplishment at this college, like you're saying, that those are points of pride that we have. And so you can go down the list and look at our culinary arts program, uh, things like our music and arts programs, which are off the charts in terms of the the faculty that we have teaching and the kinds of experiences that students get in drama, music, visual arts, um, a a great nursing program and health programs in radiologic technology and dental hygiene. So if you're going out into hospitals or or getting your teeth cleaned in this community, pretty high that that person who's doing that work with you and helping you get better is a Cabrillo graduate. All right. So now, Adam, you're a relatively new trustee, but you've been in Santa Cruz for a very long time. So there may be some people who are unfamiliar with you. Could you tell us a little bit about you and and how it is you came to be a trustee for the college? Oh, you bet. Well, um, currently I work as an analyst for uh, the Human Services Department with the county. I manage contracts, which sounds... Sounds really boring, but I love the work that I do day to day. Um, I work with our nonprofit uh, service providers in our community, helping people who are struggling through the child welfare system deal with uh, reunifying with their kids. Um, I work with uh, folks who are trying to get jobs, get housing, and get off of welfare and uh, really reach self-sufficiency. And I work with the nonprofit partners in our community who are managing those programs and doing the direct service work. Um, so it's really rewarding. Um, before that, I worked for Senator Bill Monning in his district office in Santa Cruz and for about seven years worked at a, as a field rep at that level, um, working in state government. And it's probably what led me to uh, wanting to run. Luckily, um, being a trustee here at Cabrillo College, I went to the school. It gave me a phenomenal education. It was a place where I went from someone who lacked self-confidence. And because of my experience at Cabrillo, I walked out with a degree not only about my skills and what I could bring, but how I saw myself in the world and the value I saw that I brought. Um, And being able to then apply that sense of self as well as my skills to the work that I did. So I'm lucky to be a trustee at the college. And um, managing large budgets, uh, working in government, understanding how state policy work, give me a little bit of insight. Hopefully I'll bring a little bit of that to my role. Uh-huh. And uh, I think the, the college will hopefully um, be, a, be better off. As a result, how many trustees are there? There are seven of us in total, and we each represent a district in uh, not just in Santa Cruz County. It's the entirety of Santa Cruz County with a, a sliver of North Monterey County, Pajaro area, right, sure. and San Benito County. So um, there are seven of us kind of 
as a stretch representing that entire area. Okay. So that's great that you worked for uh, Bill Monning. You know, I've uh, gone and visited him a couple of times up in his office in Sacramento. Very gracious person. Yes, he Really is. wonderful uh, guy. Um, so that's that's awesome that you worked for him for so yes. long. Good lawmaker. Yeah, good lawmaker. How would you say Cabrillo College is doing? Is it so far yeah. so good? Or Yeah, I've been really happy. I mean, in, in the last year... One of the things that we're, we're glad to celebrate is a couple of things, really. Um, our highest volume of graduates come through the college in spring of 2019. So in terms of volume of graduates and, and transfer students, really happy about uh, how Gabriel is doing and how our students are progressing. We also are celebrating our 60th year. So um, our founding in Watsonville uh, at Watsonville High School was uh, the fall semester of 1959. We had a wonderful celebration at uh, our Watsonville Center a couple of Sundays ago that had a great turnout of about 200 folks, community representatives, former students, faculty, staff. Uh, We had five alumni speak about their experiences, and Sandy Leiden talked about the founding of the college. And we had Hal Hyde, uh, one of the original trustees for the college, was there to celebrate with us. Uh, and a ton of the Swenson family, so the, the sons, daughters, granddaughters of the uh, original president of Cabrillo were there to, to help us celebrate as well. So we're on a good run. I, I'm really happy with how the college is doing. I would agree. I would add to you, Matt mentioned our, our 60th celebration, and we held it in Watsonville this year. And I think I learned something from the great Sandy Lydon and through that event Um that I didn't know originally that Cabrillo first started its first three years was held uh, in Watsonville. Yeah, Watsonville High, like yeah. right downtown one, huh? And yeah. our ability to now have a, a thriving campus in Watsonville and be really plugging in with folks in South County. Um, we'll talk a little bit more as your interview goes on about our plans in South County, but it's um, it's just been really wonderful and rewarding to see how well we are really adapting to the needs what year was the Aptos campus built? Any idea when that was? Yeah, so the the original bond to um, pass that was passed by the voters would have occurred in 1960. Uh, I want to say that um, first classes probably came in 1962, if I remember, at the Aptos campus. So there was a little bit of construction phase that had to go on there. Um, and part of the interesting history is that in order for UC Santa Cruz to ever get built, um, the, the law in California mandated that you had to have a community college before a UC could get established. So when there were individuals pushing for the development of a four-year university in Santa Cruz, in this county, they had to re- they realized that they needed a community college first. And so that initial um, vote to approve the formation of a community college district happened in 1958. And the fact that the, the founders of the institution were able to go f- to pivot from a 1958 election, hire a college president in you know early 1959, and then actually be offering classes scheduled with faculty who were hired and staffed in the fall of 1959 is really a quite astounding feat. Yeah. Um, Sandy made the point, Sandy Leiden, that the people we're talking about who were the founders of this college came out of uh, the Defense Department, the military. They had been a part of the greatest generation. So they had served in World War II. Sure, build a college and open classes within six months, no problem, right? And to me, it sounds just incredibly daunting, but the ability to pull it off is that organizational 
um, spirit and skill that they got from going through that that kind of uh, trial by fire being in the military during that period. So they are amazing people who have pulled off what they pulled off. Well, and then it amazes me they were actually able to construct a campus in like what three years? years. I mean, like mm-hmm. that would take thirty years today. It seems like <laughs> just for the environmental impact, <laughs> just for the EIR, <laughs> exactly. When you think about the successes Cabrillo has had over the years, um, really, what I think is phenomenal is it started this way, where the folks at the helm of putting this college together and building it did so knowing that the greatest gaps really were not about the the facilities and what was missing and really bringing folks together from every area uh, to make sure there was buy-in for what the community really needed and that more than anything, we needed to find a central location in the county and bring folks together and really serve the needs. Um, they were phenomenally exceptional at bringing people together for just that. Cabrillo has, over the decades, continued to do that so successfully for students. I came up through the early childhood education program. That was where I initially got my start at Cabrillo. It's such a great example of that. We have a thriving program in Watsonville and on the Aptos campus. Um, We teach classes both in Spanish and in English. Um, We have differing needs for child care providers in both ends of the county. And we've really figured out how to meet all of those needs and have a really succinct program. Um, And to me, that's emblematic of everything that Cabrillo does. Okay, great. Now, people have asked me, um, how come they can't keep on taking classes at Cabrillo? Is that is that true that there's like a you, you cap them out after a certain number of <coughs> classes or how does there's, that work? There there were some changes in the law that at, for, unfortunately from the state level, not from Cabrillo, that imposed what's called uh, repeatability restrictions on certain courses. There was some abuse of it in Southern California, in a particular college. There were folks who were enrolling in uh, basketball courses over and over and over, repeating the same courses semester after semester. And what happened is they actually started getting high school and junior high school kids who would take the same basketball class multiple years in a row, and it became a kind of a feeder to the basketball program. Um, so those kinds of abuses got noticed by the legislature and the state auditor. So the unintended consequences that it had in, uh, for a site like Cabrillo is that those restrictions got imposed in language classes, in the visual and performing arts, uh, and arguably painting techniques, ceramics, uh, in different glazing approaches, for example, that there's a, a kind of legitimacy in wanting to perfect your art over many years that repeatability makes sense. But the regulations from the state um, prevent colleges now from doing that. So what can we do? What we can do and what we are doing is provide a four-course sequence in virtually all of those programs. It might be in a language. It might be in the visual arts, performing arts, uh, music. And those are for credit, for college credit. And then once you complete those, you can start to take um, not-for-credit courses and continue to perfect the craft participating in these programs as returning adult students. So you can still repeat, you just can't keep getting the college credit for it. So an example is our um, chorale, our our great chorus, where you could have a student who's maybe 18 coming out of high school who goes through that four-course sequence for semesters. They should only be there two years. And then after that, if they want to continue to participate as an adult and maybe take courses at UC Santa Cruz but stay in the chorus, They sign up for a not-for-credit class. They're in the same room with the students who are in the credit class. 
and the faculty member can work with both the non-credit and the credit students simultaneously. So that's how we can keep our arts programs running with returning adult students. And here's the power of it for me as an advocate for this. Students who are young benefit from the richness of experience from the students who are older, who might be returning retirees even. Uh, and so that mix and blend might be literature, it might be drama, it might be music, and of course that we're talking about, that's where the real rich learning can take place. And that's why I'm a big advocate for students having that ability to repeat courses and then go into those not-for-credit classes. So it's still there. It's a different way, and sometimes we have to do it through our, our extension program, community education classes. So where we may not have the same ability to offer them in the same classroom, there may be summer offerings or different semester offerings of jewelry making or um, other kinds of printmaking classes. But the, all of those are there for students to take advantage of, whether it's credit, not for credit, or community-based education. I'm really glad you asked the question, Seb. The thing is, you can hear from Matt's response how we have really thoughtfully worked out workarounds, for lack of a better term, whether it's lifelong learning or just this pursuit for pleasure of the courses that they're taking. What I realized uh, in my last years working for uh, then-Senator Monning and then as a person walking through neighborhoods on a campaign to run for trustee for Cabrillo, the community doesn't really know the extra work that we've done to really make this accessible for them. So where we've really succeeded in doing it, our next step is to really get the message out. But the more folks understand, it doesn't look and feel like it did a decade ago, but there are ways to continue to repeat taking courses and we're, we're making it work. Okay. Now, I understand there are some new initiatives underway at Cabrillo. Well, I'll highlight one of them that's really um, important for students who are um, looking to take advantage of the affordability of college. So a couple of years ago, um, actually about five, ten years ago, the, the sort of promise movement, promise program movement started in community colleges nationwide. And California has been a leader on that. So what Cabrillo is offering now is what we call our promise program. It promises free tuition for any student who comes right out of high school and enrolls full-time at the college. And that first started with one year of free tuition. Now with the legislature stepping up, we have a promise of two years free tuition for any student who stays full-time and stays in good standing with their grades. So what a bargain. For any student who's thinking about transferring to a UC or CSU, you have two savings that are embedded in there. One, you're not paying tuition at all at the community college, so you're saving 2300 bucks right out of the gate if you do two years there. But you're also getting the opportunity cost savings of not having to pay the CSU or UC tuition right out of the gate for four years. So in reality, if you end up transferring to those California public institutions, the cost savings to the family is in the realms of twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, depending on what institution they're transferring to. So really excited about that. The other big initiative that I haven't talked about yet is Guided Pathways reforms. So Cabrillo is one of 20 colleges in the California community college system admitted into this reform movement about three years ago. Uh, and we had to compete for it. The college is um, essentially moving its operational model from what I what others have described as sort of the cafeteria model, where in the old days you would put a catalog out with all of these offerings, right, the smorgasbord of different things that you could choose. 
Uh, and you open the doors and say, open access, choose what you, you want to do. Uh, and we weren't very good, I think, in the community college system of, of providing guidance and helping students pick the right kind of choice for their career or their major. And the Guided Pathways movement is built around that kind of a conception of reorienting the college away from the smorgasbord to a pathway. So early on with high school students, it's helping them identify their career interests, making sure that they've done a little bit of study on the wages that are earned in those career tracks or, or in a particular profession. And that once they make a choice on the kind of career interests they have, choose the major, put them on a path of a major set of coursework that's going to ensure that they finish in two years if they're going to get a degree, or if they're looking to transfer, that they can transfer in two years in that particular major. One of the things we know is that when students get that kind of guidance and they transfer out of Cabrillo, they outperform students in the CSU and the UC system. So what happens is that if they get that good guidance and they've completed the, the prep coursework with us, they're motivated. Those students want to finish and they want to get their degrees and get out in the workforce. And so they end up um, being more productive students. So if we do Guided Pathways right, a couple of things are going to happen. Um, students won't change their majors as much, which means they're going to take fewer courses which saves taxpayers money, uh, and we're more efficient in how we spend money at the community college level. And the, and the most important thing is that they're going to finish faster and get off and get into that transfer institution or get off into that career that they've chosen for themselves. Wonderful. I, actually, I did hear about that from somewhere, and that sounds like a really smart approach because I remember when I went to college, I was completely adrift, aimless, really. I didn't know where to begin. I mean, like, you do have that gigantic catalog and, like, what do you do? So that that's, sounds like it's a really smart initiative. Now, um, I understand that Cabrillo is uh, likely to move forward with a campaign to pass a, a bond measure. Um, can you tell us something about that? We are. We've um, uh, initially asked the Board of Trustees to essentially ratify what we've done in our planning process. Um, they voted in September to take a preliminary vote to approve a list of projects that add up to $274 million for um, construction projects and renovation projects at the Aptos campus. Among the list of projects that we have for that, we've got, um, uh, as an example, what I would call three signature projects at the Aptos campus and then one for Watsonville. At Aptos, uh, the building of a new science center. What we have is um, capacity constraints in some of our classes that are important for all of the, the great careers that are out there for students who are looking at health or engineering, courses like anatomy and physiology for nursing. So with the new science center, we can expand to include one more lab offering, one more lab classroom in those key gateway courses of chemistry, intro chemistry, bio, and anatomy and physiology. And what that does for students is... Not only is it giving them a modern learning space that they deserve, 21st century spaces, it's also giving them more access to get into those key gateway courses where they might now be on a waiting list. They're thinking You can think of 300 more seats being opened just because we built those extra class labs. So again, getting back to Guided Pathways, that's going to accelerate their ability to get into those gateway courses, finish their science prereqs, get into their their major and do that work. 
The two other projects on Aptos are um, a, uh, what we call a consolidated student services building. So think of the all the services students need when they first come to college, which might include how do I feel like financial aid? How do I apply? How do I register for classes? How do I do my course schedule and getting counseling and educational planning? So all of that should be consolidated in one space where we're not directing students around to this building or go across campus to that building. So if we do that right, again, the educational planning component of what students do is going to be improved. And also into that building, we can have student services functions like um, peer support groups, so like an equity center, um, a support center for our um, most underprivileged students, what we call our EOPS program. And you can have this um, networking of students that takes place in that building. And um, the location that we're thinking of there is our current building 200, which is close to Soquel Drive and would be very close to the heart of the campus and easy for students to access. Maybe have community meeting spaces there as well. And then the third project is a complete renovation of our library where all of our tutoring, learning support centers are, are focused on the Aptos campus. They're very um, compact right now. They're, they are um, always slammed with students in the afternoon. So if we redesign some of the tutoring spaces and group learning spaces, create more of that, um, it's a much more collaborative learning environment than it was in the, when we, you and I went to college. So we want to refresh that building and make sure that we're doing right for our students. That's important for Guided Pathways, too, because they're going to be in cohorts with each other as they go through these major courses, and they're creating good spaces for them to get together and learn from each other is important. And then finally, I think the biggest project also um, for Watsonville is the, the idea of building a public safety training center for the South County that would allow us to make sure that we're training police and fire for this county in this county. Right now, a lot of them are having to go over the hill. They're going to other colleges where they're getting their fire or police um, certification completed. Uh, and if you talk to public safety agencies right now, one of the things they say to us, look, we have to pay for the travel. Sometimes we're paying overnight expenses, overtime. For those individuals to be going over into the South Bay um, to get their certification done, and if we could do it here, Think of all the cost savings that we have for our, our public agencies that are having to pay that burden right now. The other part is that I think it can be a really interesting regional hub for fire safety training, for certifications after their, their job. So think of fire leadership academies or police leadership courses, continuing education kinds of courses, where this kind of a regional center in this area and this region could be a magnet for folks from around the state that be coming for training uh, and getting coursework done at Cabrillo. So that's an important part of that bond program. There are other projects like $17 million for infrastructure technology improvements, things like sewer, electrical, cable, uh, water systems that are just... The boring stuff. We, they're they're <laughs> boring, but they're not boring when they break. The pipes no, break not at all. And, they do, and they're expensive when they break. And they're 50 and 60 years old. So You guys just had a massive... We did. Like, uh, tell me about that. Cause that's so, yeah, the summer, uh, this summer we had a massive break in our sewer pipe under Building 900, which is our cafeteria yeah, building. We had to evacuate the cafeteria. Yeah, so 
you know, there's a, there's a case where we've got student service functions, cafeteria operations are shut down for a month and a half because the sewer broke. While, you know, we were able to get in there and remediate it very quickly, the deferred maintenance money that we get from the state doesn't pay for all of those kinds of projects. And particularly for renovations that we're talking about, like major library renovation or, or new construction, our deferred maintenance budget that we get from the state is about $240,000 this year. We burned through almost half of that with that sewer yeah. pipe break under the cafeteria. One, one event, the one half, event, half of yeah. your budget for, one event, for maintenance. Half, half the year's budget is gone. So, you know, the idea that Sacramento is providing enough of that funding for capital projects like the ones we're talking about, that's it's just not happening. No, Sacramento's not there anymore for that. There are 114 community colleges in the state, so Cabrillo is not always going to be at the top of the priority list for facilities funding. And there are two things I just want to trickly, quickly try to underscore in what Matt just shared. I think that um, between what we're doing with Guided Pathways and some of the other initiatives at Cabrillo, and then you think about the way um, when we ask voters to support this bond to build up facilities, improving capacity, um, we're in such a different boat than the UC is in our community, right? When you hear UCSC talk about expanding facilities, you worry about the influx of students coming into our community. It's exactly the opposite at Cabrillo. We're talking about students who probably, you know, out of high school, living at home with their folks still, um, having to take an extra year to get through a two-year program to transfer to go to the college of their choice. By expanding our facilities, especially in and around the science and some of those core math and science classes, we're actually helping our students who are already here, community members, be more efficient in their community college process, which I think is a really important point to underscore because most folks hear expansion and they think, oh, well, more students are going to flood in from out of the area. That's not at all the community college story. Um, and then the other thing I think is really important to underscore when I'm out in the community talking to folks about the services they get and the way they feel impacted by Cabrillo, you hear from those folks who, like yourself, I had a dental hygiene checkup and it was either at Cabrillo or with folks who went to Cabrillo. One of the things we're missing is law enforcement being able to, you, I've certainly met some officers who did, you know, their first two years at community college, but then had to move away, go elsewhere for their training. But to actually be training our fire and law enforcement emergency responders so that it's local folks who hopefully they've grown up here in our area, they've trained here in our area, and now they're working and serving our community in this area, I think is phenomenally important to our community. And I'm really excited at the possibility of us expanding in that direction. So you know what they're going to say. I mean, um, people are going to say, uh, gee, well, that's a lot of money for facilities. How is that really going to actually improve the instruction at the college and, and help the local students in our region? What, what do you say to that? Yeah, so I've got a couple of responses to that. One, one is to come back to the point, too, that Cabrillo is one of the most important workforce training institutions in the county. So in terms of training people for careers, we're one of the big dogs. And so in order to do that work, that needs to be done in facilities that are relevant to the jobs that are out there in our current economy. For me, one of the most important things I think of when in thinking about this bond is that if we're training students for the kind of health career, computer, information, technology, service industry kinds of jobs, healthcare, they need to be 
learning in 21st century learning spaces for 21st century jobs. And you and I are working in an economy where some of the jobs that exist now did not exist 50 and 60 years ago. Or five years ago. And it's very likely (laughs) (laughs) the same thing is going to play out for our students. So being on the cutting edge of providing that workforce training is important. So when we talk about providing the kind of spaces that we need for public safety training careers and how we train firefighters for climate change or how we train police for community policing approaches that are very different from the way police training was 20 and 30 years ago, that's what this, in part, this bond is about. And particularly when you focus on that science building, the kinds of science preparation that you need for careers, whether you're going branching off into engineering or computer technology or the health careers that are, exist in our county and support our local community, we have to have good training facilities for those students. So modern science labs are critical. Uh, but the other thing that I would say is that you have to put the context of, of supporting a community college with a bond like this in the context of what um, Adam was just describing. We're serving our community students. And the students that we graduate are the ones that in turn are serving the community back through the work that they do. So what does it cost, right? If you, if you spread that $274 million across the property tax base of our district, it represents about $18 to $19 per 100,000 assessed valuation on a, on a home. So let's take, for example, um, the average home in our district, right? I'll just pit, let's say $1 million home, right? Which is not far off of what homes sell for right now. But the average value for property tax purposes below that. A million dollar home, that means you're going to have a tax bill uh, from this bond of about uh, $187, I believe, a year. And you start doing the math on that per month or per day, it's less than 50 cents a day. Let it be known, Adam whipped out his calculator. (laughs) So the average cost to uh, voters... um, will be $3.46, or about roughly a latte per week. A week. Now, also one thing, this is assessed value, not actual market value. And so a lot of people say, oh, the seniors, you know, they're going to, they're on fixed incomes. A lot of these seniors have very low property valuations. They might only be two hundred dollars or $300,000. So, you know, people who buy their houses today, they'll be paying full freight. But a lot of our our older homeowners will not have to uh, bear that much of an expense. A latte a month. A latte a month. There you go. Okay. So, you know, when I drive by, because I live right in the neighborhood, I live uh, just a stone's throw from Cabrillo, and I I see these beautiful, like, buildings right there on Soquel, and then I see the, the VAPA, and I went to the Maker's Fair, and I saw these incredible workshops, and I was blowing away. All this looks, like, very new and awesome to me. So... Um, you know, uh, why are these actually needed if we already, like, it looks to me like there's already been a lot of stuff going on there, Cabrillo. So well, you you have hit on what I call our curb appeal problem. Right? <laughs> we have, if you drive SoCal Drive, it looks fantastic because you what you're seeing are the benefits of the prior bonds that were passed by voters. So the VAPA Performing Arts Complex and those two buildings that are right there on SoCal Drive and um, Cabrillo College Drive are, are the benefits of those recent bond measures that were passed by the voters in 2004, 1998. 
grateful for that. Yes. But it's the buildings that are on the upper hill of the campus, not the total top. But Which is the majority of the The majority of the campus. college that was built out in that 1962 and 1970s period, those are the buildings that are suffering from the aging and infrastructure yeah. problems. So, Remember that uh, Sandy Lydon lecture we shared with you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so for us, you know, the... The, particularly for me, so if I come back to that science building as an example, our students are being taught in spaces that were designed in the 60s and 70s. Well, science is different. I mean, if, just think about the, the kinds of discoveries that have taken place just simply in, in fields like biology and medicine, um, genetics, um, all of the kinds of things that are being done in um, pharmaceutical industry and, and biopharmaceuticals. Uh, so you've got these spaces, and while they're retrofitted well for our students, they're not modern science labs. And so my vision for our students is that if they're going off to be transfer students or graduate students in programs around the country or, or even California here locally, I want our students to be trained and taught in the kinds of lab environments that they're going to experience when they go and transfer. Uh, and what's happened around us with neighboring community colleges is that they've been successful at passing these bond measures pretty recently. Even where I was before in the Central Valley, uh, we were able to pass in, um, and get approved uh, a $255 million bond. And one of the signature projects was a science building that got completed about uh, seven years ago. And what I was able to see as vice president of instruction there is that the ability to take an old science building down and create an entirely new one with more lab space did two things. It, it improved the access that I talked about earlier. But what happened is the students actually performed better in the new building because they fell in love with it. It was modern, it clean, new. And so the excitement level in all of those courses went up, the completion rates went up, and the equity um, gaps went down. So the students who were really enjoying the fruits of it the most were the Hispanic kids who were living in Stockton or kids who were, who were born of um, farm workers in the fields. Well, we have that, ex same, that exact same opportunity here to do that kind of good for our students. And that's what's exciting to me about this project. And, you know, we have that curbable problem, but we can get around it and explain to people, look, we have these old buildings that have to be replaced and modernized. All right. Now, in the in the South County of Watsonville, you're, you're talking about this public safety training center. What does that look like? And, and, and where is it going to go in Watsonville? And, mm -hmm. and why does that make such sense? Yeah, it's uh, to be determined. So it's not clear where um, it would be positioned as a site. Um, what we did find in our planning, and particularly after I got here as president, um, was that the initial plan was to try to expand public safety on the Aptos campus. To me, there were some space constraints that prevent you from building out a really good public safety center. So if you talk to fire professionals, police um, chiefs, and, and fire chiefs, there are some um, kinds of classrooms and kinds of learning experiences that you need to design into that kind of that building. Now, I'm not talking about a Taj Mahal, but you need to consider, for example, for fire training, ladder um, exercises with equipment. So the apparatus that you have on trucks or on big engines have to be 
contemplated. Where are you going to put that? And then you've got to have some physical education facilities that um, would be useful for the students to train in for the fitness um, requirements that come with fire and police. And so when you start thinking about that, and then the other kinds of classes that you can build off of classrooms for a fire safety training center, they can be any course, general education, transfer, social science, humanities. So you need some space and you need space for training and physical education and so on. So ideally, you would want to put that on the Aptos campus. I would argue the space isn't there uh, for a really good, effective regional training center. So then you start thinking the, the cheapest land values are probably going to be South County compared to Aptos, Santa Cruz, and North County. Uh, and so it also helps if you think about having a signature career center or career education experience get added to our Watsonville set. What we currently have are the things that, that, for example, Adam mentioned, early childhood education, education. We have green technology there, construction, energy management. You can do a business degree there. But boy, wouldn't it be great to have uh, a signature training program like public safety there as well. And if it's close to Highway 1 in the South County where you're not having to fight the traffic all the way up to Santa Cruz, and you think about drawing um, departments from uh, maybe over the hill, from over, coming over 152 or 129 or up Highway 1 from Monterey County, um, the experience there is going to be better, I think, as a, a magnet for regional training than uh, if we were to put it in Aptos or in Santa Cruz. So those were the, the reasons behind it. Um, and when you talk to fire chiefs and police chiefs, they're pretty excited about it. I can imagine. So I, I can also hear people saying, hey, there are all these existing bonds that I don't think have been paid off yet. I think I see them on my property tax bill. And 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 so there is already money that we've been spending. And, and doesn't the state of California also chip into this? I mean, like, why why do we need to pay more and more for this? Well, you know, we've talked a little bit already about where the state doesn't step in. Um, and, you know, it's not that Matt and I want to sit here and point fingers at, well, it's the state's fault. Um, but the realities are um, there have been a number of statewide uh, bonds that have passed. Cabrillo is, like I said earlier, one of 114 community colleges in the state. We're not always at the top of the priority list for funding for projects like this. And... Um, we are a community college. We have to rely on our community to help us pay for the needs of the college where the state doesn't step up. Now, in what we propose to do, there are, we've been really smart about it. We've thought about projects. There's about three million within what we plan to do where we know we would be eligible for matching bond, uh, funding from the state. Um, so wherever we can leverage dollars, with this next um, facilities growth project that we have uh, uh, slated, we're going to be doing that. We just recently, for example, um, refinanced uh, our 1998 and our 2004 bonds, and we were able to lower our interest rates from, I want to say, 4.65 to 4.8 to just under 2.5. How do you refinance those bonds? How does that? I'm just... Where do you go? Santa Cruz Community Credit Union? or <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be that easy? Yeah. No, Matt can speak to the yeah, specifics. It's, um, it, you know, it was an interesting learning experience for me because I had never been through a, a refinance as president. 
but we had uh, both uh, myself, our, our vice president of finance and administrative services and our business services offices worked with um, uh, a bond council and a bond firm uh, in Wall Street. Um, so we essentially spent some time doing research to show the um, fiscal operations of the state of the college and the ability of the college to um, have the property values that exist to pay off those bonds. Uh, and so essentially went through a, a ratings process with Moody's and Standard & Poor's, got our credit rating established with them, and glad to say that the college is, is run very well with a very conservative fiscal board that's uh, made sure that we've had um, healthy budget reserves at the end of each year, uh, even before I came here. And so our ratings from the, the two rating agencies were the second highest that you could get for a, a California community college or a local agency. Uh, and we maintain the ratings that we have, so essentially A2 and AA uh, on those bond ratings. Uh, and so what that allowed us to do was to use the investment firm in, in New York to package a new set of bonds, buy the bonds back, and essentially sell new bonds at these lower interest rates. So all the bonds that could be called got called. The investors got paid off on those interest rates that Adam mentioned. And the new set of bonds that got sold got sold at a time when the interest rates were at their really their lowest so we're able to capitalize on the economic environment that we have right now to, to drop that interest rate payment down. And the end result, it's saving taxpayers $29.5 million uh, over the life of those bonds. So we've saved $29.5 doing just that refinance uh, as a, a good fiscal stewardship move to, to show taxpayers, look, we're paying attention to the economic market and making sure that you're not overpaying on your tax bill. Well, wow, that actually is really interesting. I never heard about anybody refinancing a bond like that, and yeah. I certainly hadn't heard that Cabrillo ha had done that. That's very impressive. We, we've done it in the past. We were really fortunate. I mean, the time was just right to hit a number like 29.5. Uh, the last time we did this, I think we were able to save about $4 million for taxpayers. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of, and, and really, mm -hmm. truly, it's in part to answer your question, don't I already pay property taxes towards Cabrillo? Folks do. Folks have been for a while. The board historically has been fiscally conservative, and it's paying off. And the the promise is that the board will continue to have an eye because it's so clear when we, when we have that kind of payoff, the results are we're able to give back to voters. Right. And money is historically cheap right now. I guess it's a great time to be mm -hmm. to be selling bonds on, on the um, yes. bond market. Now, My uh, sense is it may continue to be in the <laughs> near future. I think, I think we're probably in a permanently like like cheap money environment yeah. i think because there's a savings glut in the world so um but uh Carrillo did try to pass a bond measure it seems to me just a few years ago the 2016 so what's different now this time than it was uh, a few years back when you guys last tried to pass a bond right. measure well that's a great question i venture to say there's a lot that's different um just to hit the high notes when we went to voters in 2016, we were asking for over three, $300 million. Um, We heard a resounding, that's too much. Um, so we've definitely lowered what we're asking for. Um, when we were asking voters to pass it at that level, they were also not really clear what we were going to be doing with the money. We've been very clear. 
And um, we're getting out early and letting folks know. I mean, Matt went over our priority projects really well, um, very specifically how we're going to be using this money. Um, the other thing that I think it came up for folks the last time was that um, while folks weren't really clear what we were going to be spending the money on, it seemed like there might have been a few folks at Cabrillo, faculty, who were clear and they weren't happy with it. Um, that was true then. It's not true now. Um, I'm really excited to announce that the Faculty Senate has endorsed the project list that we're moving forward on, uh, as has the um, Cabrillo uh, College um, Teachers Union, CCFT. Um, we uh, have gotten support from the faculty member who led the protest in 2016 and was against what we were doing, has not only come out in favor of it, he's done so in a newspaper. <laughs> so I feel like that's an official um, thumbs up. And we spent time working with faculty over the last number of years to make sure there was a viable way for folks to weigh in on what these facilities priorities should be. Um, we're not going to be able to accomplish everything on our priority list, but one of the other good things about going so quickly after we lost a bond effort in 2016, but going back now, if we're able to cash in on what is a really good market, I mean, let's face it, we're likely heading into a recession where our ability to bid and get really good bids for these projects is pretty high. The more cost savings we get on the bidding end, the more we can go down that priority projects list and hit more of the priority projects. Because there are a few other things that we haven't talked about, just because we can't count on them being part of this, but hopefully we'll be able to get to it all. There's just a number of things that make this right timing. And I don't think as a college we had those ducks lined up quite as well in 2016. So being able to get out early and talk to folks about what we're going to do, doing it at the right price tag, and making sure people are really clear that we are really well supported on campus in doing this, I think those are fundamentally the differences. There's probably a few others that I'm missing, and I'm yeah, motioning over to Matt. Adam did a great summary, I think. And, and the thing I'm probably most proud of is the the way that I, I like to see the college unified and, and working in consensus with each other. So for me, part of what being a leader is about is making sure that that climate is there and fostering that consensus. So to have the faculty senate vote unanimously to support it is a really telling message of unity um, and to have, uh, and I think it's fair to say that the culture of Cabrillo right now is really positive and good a place. Um, and um, that I, I, I'll be frank, that starts from the leadership from the top, from the, the board. The board is one of the most pleasant and consensual um, kinds of boards that I've ever seen. And I've seen the opposite. So I, I know how that can be destructive to the environment of a college. So when you have that kind of unity within the board, within the faculty ranks, within the leadership, getting behind the planning process that led to this priority project list, that's really good. Part of my joy in being president at this time is that that's all gelling together. It's coming together in support of the students and the community. So I'm really positive about what's happening at Korea. So this is going to be on the ballot. Which ballot? Is this in the March ballot, the November ballot? One? The March ballot is where you will find it. The March ballot? And yep. Is there a, a, like a like a letter or a number? That Not yet. Out? So the, the one step left to do is in December, the Board of Trustees will be asked to do the formal vote. Yeah, uh, we've got our whole resolution. resolution statement, 
We will vote on that. We will immediately take it down to uh, the county clerk's office, uh, say hi to Gail, and uh, file our paperwork. And it will probably take another week for us to learn what letter we've been given. Okay. And now in order to approve this, you need what percent voting yes? Is it 66.7%? Is it 50.1%? 55%. 55%. That sounds doable. Last time around, was it also 55%? Okay. And the, the margin last time that we lost by was really slim. We got just over 54%. Really? Ooh. So, heartbreaking, isn't oh, it? Oh, that is heartbreaking. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, you know, a lot of people are going to say, hey, you know what? I don't have any Cabrillo students in my family. Why should I care about this? Why should I tax myself to pay for this? So, uh, you know, I'll go back to what I was saying earlier about the, the way that the community college serves the community. So it provides the cultural enrichment, um, the arts, the drama, the entertainment that a lot of people can take advantage of at very low cost. It also is providing that workforce training that gets our graduates out into the community. So even though you may not benefit directly from a family member or yourself, what you're getting from the college and supporting the college in this kind of environment in a bond measure is you're supporting the healthcare worker, the public safety officer, the dental hygienist, the the individual who's working you know, in the community in sales or business or in, in computer science programs or whatever it is. So you have to step outside of yourself and think about supporting the community college means that you're supporting your community. You're, you're supporting community jobs and you're supporting the betterment and advancement of the community in all the ways that you can think about a community being enriched. So for me, it's important to support institutions like this because of it. I don't have kids. I vote yes on school bonds because they mean so much to improving the the experience and the fabric of our community. And it's also uh, another fact, if I'm voting for a bond, it's probably the case that the school district's going to be better, which re- actually helps raise property tax value or property values, not property taxes too, right? <laughs> but it's raising the value of the property of the community when you have these institutions being well-financed and well-supported. And I, I would say too, just, you know, with that kind of as a bottom line in mind, I agree. You talked, Seb, at the beginning of this podcast about your experiences more recently at VEPA and going in and enjoying theater. Um, there was an art show last week at Cabrillo. Um, these are things that raise our property values. But the other bottom line that I think I, I'm going to take the altruistic and integrity model that <laughs> Matt spoke of and say, you know, when we're serving our community the way that Cabrillo does and will continue to do so well, that community serves us. And I think about the seniors who live in this community and how valuable it is to them to know that these law enforcement, firefighters, healthcare providers, these people who show up in our lives are from here. They know our area. They maybe went to school with our kids or our grandkids. They're like family. And I think for the folks who are are wondering, I don't have kids at Cabrillo. Why should I care about this? You're probably going to be interacting with folks throughout in your greatest times of need with folks who've been to Cabrillo. Make sure they get the best education possible because they're going to be taking care of you someday. The property value argument is a really very solid argument because <laughs> yeah. always the the homes that are worth the most are where the best schools are. Yeah. So I think anybody is wondering about what's in it for you, 
you know, enhanced property value is certainly something that's going to far exceed whatever you're going to pay, um, yeah. you know, for, for the bond over however many years it's going to be. So, right. Because, you know, my kids are 10 and 8. You know, they're quite likely to be beneficiaries of, uh, of this. I imagine it'll take I seven years to, uh, to build it all out. So thanks, guys, for, um, for, for serving. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for being a guest uh, on the Bay to Bay podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right, that wraps up episode number 49 of the Bay to Bay podcast. I do hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Adam and Matt about all things Cabrillo College and uh, the uh, bond measure here in 2020, uh, Measure R, that seeks to raise that $274 million for improvements at the Cabrillo campuses. Uh, I learned a whole ton uh, in our interview And I hope you got a lot out of it as well. So uh, before I sign off, I do want to remind you that the Beta Bay podcast is, of course, sponsored by thesoldbook.com. That's right. Go to thesoldbook.com to get your free copy of my book, Get It Sold. It's all about how to sell your home quickly and easily for the very highest price possible and have a good time doing it with, of course, the least uh, hassle and risk. So uh, great book. wrote every word myself. You can buy it at Amazon. I believe it's $13 on Amazon. It's got a number of five-star reviews there too, but you can get it from me for free, free, free. That's right. Go to thesoldbook.com. And hey, check it out. If you use the coupon code FREESHIP at checkout, that's F-R-E-E-S-H-I-P, I'll even ship it to you for free as well. You can't beat that. All right. So thank you so much for listening, and I hope to have another episode up again before too long.